Hello, and welcome back to The Last King of Ulster Podcast, a podcast that talks about everything while knowing nothing about it. So, a few bit of housekeeping for today. I'm very excited to announce that I have my first guest coming on today. His name is A Cormac, as you will know him on TikTok and Discord. Cormac is a very intelligent guy who studies history quite passionately. He talks about many issues such as Irish republicanism, the Palestinian movement for independence, as well as various other things about British rule and colonialism. We have had many interactions over TikTok, but for now I'm very happy to sit down, pluck his brain about a few things, a few topics, and see what his reflections are upon those topics. I'm going to leave it there, folks, so sit back, take care, and enjoy. Welcome, Mick. So love to have you on. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Thank you very much. Good. Uh, You have the honorary uh, privilege of being my very first uh, guest on my podcast. How does that feel? Oh, that's that's great. I wasn't uh, wasn't aware of that at all. (laughs) Yeah, so it's the third episode in, but uh, I couldn't have picked probably a better guest to talk to. So, Cormac, just for anybody that doesn't know you, uh, who are you, what do you do, where do you come from, and take it away. All right, so yeah, um, I am from Dublin. Um, obviously, I'm a, well, not obviously, God, a sense of a vein. I'm a <laughs> history TikToker, um, and I kind of blew up over the summer. I, I went from about 3,000 followers to 85,000 as of today, as of the day of this recording. So, I mean... Um, I'm just very happy to be able to kind of spread, you know, Irish history because a lot of people um, wouldn't really know about it. And especially uh, because most of my audience, like half of them are from America. So it's a lot of people from America trying to get back in touch with their roots, um, I find. Yeah, I find like there is a very big demand on TikTok between the Irish Americans. And there's even like a little civil war going on between Irish and Irish Americans for some strange reason. There is. Yeah, I try. I try and... uh stay out of it i have made videos with caricatures of americans before and i get a lot of complaints from the americans funny that you say that i remember like our first interaction that we had each other uh it was your classic um oh i'm a republican and it's like you're republican too it's like oh no not that type of republican and i remember with you and it was like uh daddy shaking hands with donald trump and i thought you'd see the funny side to it but you didn't like it at all and i was like shit no i thought you were okay yeah so <laughs> i thought that you were you were an irish american at, at the first day because <laughs> i was like i thought what i thought that you were trying to do was equate um daddy donald with uh irish republicanism because of the picture of him with jerry adams yeah um so i was like oh i was like this guy because I, I, and I actually, I've deleted the video because I felt so bad. <laughs> ah, don't man, don't worry. It's all a bit of fun. It's all a bit of fun. Harmless. So fun. If, if anyone's going to look for that on my profile, you're you're long, you're long gone. Or it's long oh, gone. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no. What I took from that video was you saying that the Republican Party is the same as a Republican Party over here, and I was like, mm, not really the case. Um, no, so no. I completely, I completely missed the joke. Went over my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I must ask you, Cormac, um, so like what has been like the biggest uh, influence and impact on you studying history? And like, what, what, why does history stand out so much to you as a topic that you discuss so much? Well, I'm studying at university at, at the moment. Um, and, you know, it's I mean, it's obviously quite, it's quite interesting to me personally on a personal level. But at the same time, I always see a lot of people 
who either misrepresent historical events, um, who maybe don't know the full extent of their of the ramifications, or who just uh, have listened to propaganda and they haven't mm-hmm. been and they've been fed a, a lie. You know, most of the time it's not really their fault. Uh, these things tend to permeate our society. So I'm very happy to be able to try and set the record straight. And so, and based upon that, so like, see, since you have joined TikTok, do you feel that is it has expanded your viewpoint upon history or has there been certain elements of it where maybe you double down on a certain viewpoint? Like, I'd, I'd love to know. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I've actually learned a lot from, even my commenter is saying, oh, can you talk about this? And I say, I'm like, oh, I didn't even, I never knew about that. I think it's kind of expanding my horizons. Um, it's making me, it's making me more aware of things that are going on in the world that have gone on in the world that otherwise I would probably never have heard of. Um, and in regards to changing my mind, um, there are a few things I can't really name off the top of my head, but I do remember learning a few things that I thought to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw them in a TikTok challenging my point of view and I was like okay let me research this and it actually turns out that um, I myself have been the victim of you know uh, misremembering of history so mm-hmm. it is it is quite good to be able to you know learn from from uh, from TikTok and it's quite a good uh, quite a good platform for learning if you look at the right channels exactly I find what TikTok does it is such an open platform for people to interact with whereas like if you look at platforms such as youtube it is mostly to me it seems like an app where you just engage it is like somebody talking to you whereas like at least with tiktok it is so easy to do duet or stitch with somebody so therefore you can you know create a dialogue you know even make uh, a certain theme go happen yeah i completely agree and i actually kind of in my opinion tiktok uh, right now is what youtube was when it started in you know 2005 to 2010 is what i kind of say is the less corporate i mean obviously youtube's always always been a corporation but i'd say Mm -hmm. 2005 2010 is when you had these smaller creators who were kind of collabing with each other who were you know um being able to talk with each other and kind of go viral by themselves and now on youtube unless you're previously famous or unless you get extremely extremely lucky you're not going to go viral but tiktok with the for you page function really gives everybody an opportunity to get their voices heard and just it's spread like wildfire, you know? Yeah, that's another thing I do enjoy about it too because like it does ex- like it does expose you to so many different people. The algorithms can be very funny with TikTok because they don't really specify what the algorithm is and how to negotiate that. Yeah, no, it's very it's a hard beast to master. I've been trying for so long to just I remember like, Because I remember I think it was like a week or two ago you said that you were shadow banned. Yeah, so I, maybe I jumped the gun on that, you know, I'll hold my hands up. So what happened was I had about two or three weeks where each of my videos got 20,000 views minimum. And mm-hmm. I was I was on a high. I was loving this. I was getting 2,000 followers a day. And um, mm-hmm. in, in that week, I had a video, my largest video uh, ever. I have 830,000 last time I checked it, um, mm-hmm. views on that one. I had another video that hit half a million, another video... 200 you know 100 i mean i was flying high and either i did something to upset the algorithm uh, because Mm -hmm. a lot of my videos when i posted them were under review or i was a victim of mass flagging because people had actually or somebody actually commented on one of my videos when i was complaining about um my views going from twenty thousand each video to like four or five which is still very good you know it's still very very good but mm-hmm. in 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 um, 
respect what I was getting. I was like, that's kind of weird that they dropped so much. Somebody had commented on my video saying, oh, me and my, fr I hope you enjoyed me and my friends flagging all your videos. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, grand. Oh, See, I, I know, right? And I just, I mean, I blocked them because um, I was like, well, go away from me. If you're, you're going to flag my videos, why would I keep you around? Um, so, some people are just assholes on the app. Because um, like, I remember like, specifically me it's sometimes like i would interact with a lot of unionists and oh yes okay i, I know like 90 percent of it is an absolute cesspool it is an absolute shit show but then again there is that 10 percent of an interaction where i can interact with them and most of them and i kind of have to laugh this now it's because you know how i have cauliflower ear do you oh, I, yeah i was i didn't yeah, really I, notice that sorry I've got really nasty cauliflower and then they comment on that and I then I kind of what I started doing now is if they rip the piss out of my cauliflower I rate their insults like if it's funny like I will give them <laughs> out of 10. That's a very good but, way to deal with it actually yeah. <laughs> like so somebody said it looked like a fanny and I just kind of went may like have you ever seen like, one before oh well, god yeah. help you like listen <laughs> I'm gonna do it here man I'm gonna get you sorted um <laughs> You know, sometimes you have to poison the trolls rather than not feed them. Yeah, no, exactly. You're dead right. Um, and that's, I mean, that, that is quite a, that's a problem sometimes with um, TikTok being such an open forum, being so kind of like the new Wild West. Mm. Um, because you do get people, like, I mean, obviously on my videos, I get a lot of unionists commenting as well, mm -hmm. saying all sorts. And that's actually quite a good tactic to use against them. Just be like, just start rating their insults. So I'm, yeah. I've actually been meaning to watch a video on, or not, sorry, make a video on um, unionists calling me Fenian because, mm -hmm. you know, Fenian means warrior. So I'm going to make a video in regards to that. I'm going to be like, so if anyone's ever calling you a Fenian, what you have to do is stick your head up high and say, I mean, yeah, I'm a warrior. What's, what's, uh, what's so bad about that? <laughs> Something along I would those just lines. I would just kind of go, thank you for such a lovely compliment. Honest to God. Um, <laughs> that, that world to me, thank you. Um, can I buy you a drink sometime? Yo, stop. <laughs> you know, like, they'd like, be I, very happy with that, would they? <laughs> no, they wouldn't, but I don't really care. Like, oh, no, of course not. The, the, way, the, the way I do it is like, if you're going to make something personal, like like attack the arguments, like, you know, I, I'm okay with it you know, taking a bit of abuse here and there. Sometimes it sucks, but, like, for the most part, I just see it as fun. And most of the time, it's, like, somebody called, like, user 22478900 has commented. Yeah. And it's just, it's just abuse. It's just dog shit. I, I get that a lot as well. Like, they're just people who don't have any username, no profile picture, no nothing. You know, they just kind of... They may even be making fake accounts just to comment on things, or they're mm -hmm. not really engaging with TikTok at all. They're just there to cause a ruckus. Um, and you get that a lot with, you know, not even with our type of content, with just people who go viral in general. They have, um, you know, a massive problem with people going onto their page and bullying them over their looks and that kind of thing. That's why you see a lot of videos with the comments turned off these days, I think. Yeah, like Nevo especially. Um, oh, yeah. I've seen that. Even, even what I, who, who else? Who's a really famous, Charmy, Charlie D'Amelio. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Oh, but yeah. But, like, the amount yeah. of views that she's getting, like, she's, what, she's only, like, 16 or 17, and... I know I don't know the full story about this, but I kind of go like I look at myself when I was like twenty or twenty-one, and I was an idiot back then. So like, imagine all that pressure for just a girl who just does dancing on TikTok. I don't understand this abuse that she gets. I feel so bad for her. And there's another one, Bella Porch. You're familiar with her? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like all her comments are just filled with, oh, where's the funny bit, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, she's, you know, she's just living her life. She's just enjoying herself. Yeah. I mean, leave her alone, you know? I love her. I think she's just such a positive vibe. Like, I love that M to the B vibe. Oh, that, that was, that, yeah. I think, isn't that the most new oh. video on TikTok now? It's the most, definitely most liked. I think it's like the time of talking is like 43 million likes on TikTok. I go back every now and then just to see what it's at, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's just like, it's like looking at stocks and just to see how much they grow over time. Honestly, and being like, man, I should invest. I, I wish, you know, I wish that was me. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, if you could invest and like likes on a video. It's like, yeah, I would have put 10 cents for like, and I'll like, once it hits 10,000 likes, oh, it'll make me like maybe like 400 euro or something like that. Oh my God. Imagine I would just, I would just like, Put a hundred quid in each Bella Porch video or each Charlie video and make millions. <laughs> I, I would just like take it alone and just put it all on Charlie and just just wait for. Imagine going into imagine going into the bank and being like, "All right, so I want a loan um to invest in a sixteen year old's videos on the internet." They'd be like, "Listen, lad, we're gonna call the police if you're not careful." <laughs> that is fair. That is. <laughs> no, I, get, I, I completely get what you're saying. Or what we could do is just like we could use like old school Catholic church tactics and just like brush it under the oh, carpet. Oh, nice! Yeah, little brown envelopes. Ooh. Yeah, I, like I, I, I'd be more fond of like an orangey kind of color envelope. But brown well, I'm is sure nice you would too. Be. I like brown. Sure, you would be. How brown. dare you? <laughs> How dare you? I'm Donegal. Like we're the unwanted county. We're like the. Like, I've got this analogy about Donegal. Uh, home. Like, I, did, I had this analogy since we were doing it in Leaving Cert. And I was like, Donegal was actually negotiated whether it should be part of the North or the Irish Free State. And I just kind of said it like this. Like, you know, we were the unwanted kin, kid in a divorce settlement. Yeah, it's like, so it's like you guys take them. No, no, no. You, we, we don't want them. You guys have them. You, have them. you keep them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's this one joke. It's like, oh, I lost the settlement. Um, what about the kid? Yeah, I got to keep them. What? <laughs> that's that's Donegal with us, yeah. I mean, nah, listen, Donegal's very nice. Um, it's a shame Beautiful. there's, like, no trains or, like, hardly any buses, you know? No. Well, like, there are a few buses that go about, but it's, like, you have to get to, like, a very specific place. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, for go home to my parents. Like, I live in Larkenny, which is kind of, like, the major town. It's not really a city, but it's, like, it's the major town within Donegal. So I can get, like, a bus to like 10 minutes away from my parents' house and then I have to get picked up from there and see even like after a night out, like, there, you know, taxis are just like, good luck getting a taxi home. Oh God, that's, that just sounds horrible because you have to get it. it, is, from, it is. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, like, infrastructure in Ireland is a massive problem. Huge problem, especially now, like we're starting to see the hangover of the bad infrastructure now, even with things like the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like I had this crazy idea. I don't know why. I like I actually did you ever have like did you ever watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I love that show, it's so funny. Right, you know the one where like uh Charlie tries to solve the crime of Pepe Silva and like oh, yeah. he has like all these newspapers. <laughs> I had one of those moments and I was just kind of saying, here's what we do. We we get like a load of caravans and we stock them, we stack them on top of each other and like make little like caravan cities like that, like big massive skyscrapers of caravans and like but that there's an economic stimulus to that too because you know you you need a ladder to get up to the higher ones so then oh, you have to build a ladder employment. Yeah. Speaking of ladders, are you going to invest in an eleven foot ladder after that Maggie Thatcher statue goes up? Oh <laughs> yes. Um, as long as like I can like 
I'm going to practice climbing with one hand because, like, I would like a bag of my own feces to throw at her. Fair enough. I think between this and between your caravan cities, I think the ladder stock is going to go high. So, actually, I'd say we should invest right now in ladder stock. This is true. This is okay. This is actually true. And then it's like it's a knock on effect. However, what if we started off with the caravan economy to get the ladder industry oh, up and running yeah. so that by the time we go to get Margaret Thatcher, it's like the, the market is already established? And we well, what if we sold ladders beside the statue? Supply and demand, like people need them. It's it's a bit like when you go to a football game and you buy like a scarf. Yeah, because you're free. The, the team you support. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's actually genius when you think about it. I tend to buy one for the team I don't support and sit in my own stands and just watch the chaos. You sadistic um, little fuck. <laughs> no, I've never been I'm guessing, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing you've never been to a Celtic Rangers game, have you? Excuse me, I lived in Glasgow for a full year. How dare you? Oh, but God, no, I would never but wear anything am- remotely blue in the Celtic stands. <laughs> Are you joking me? <sighs> Oh god! You're just asking for trouble. If I, get, I was if, actually like, if, near I got, if I got punched, I go black and green just out of fear. Yeah, I would. I would just turn orange. White, like I'd be white, orange, and green just from the fear and the panic <laughs> and all that. Oh. Right, so, so I must ask you this as well. So, like, how do you think that like history has like influenced the way you see the world and how you interact with it? It's really. Um, it's brought a lot of light to a lot of issues for me. Like I kind of would have viewed everything on a surface level before I started studying history. Mm-hmm. Um, and now what I'm going places like I mean, I uh, me and my friends from uh, from history course, we actually go off to a different European city every year. Um, because most of us mm-hmm. work, so we can just like we'll save a bit of money, go off on a nice little EU holiday. Um, like for example, mm-hmm. for example, we went to Vienna last year, or not last year, two years ago. Now we were going to, we we're supposed to go Beautiful. to Budapest, but uh, obviously the old coronavirus happened. But <laughs> awful <dude. laughs> So we went to Vienna, and I would have, you know, as I was walking around, if I hadn't been studying history, if I had gone there beforehand, I would have been like, oh yeah, okay, this is interesting, you know. Oh, that's kind of cool. It looks cool. But when I went over, and I kind of saw the palace, the Habsburg Palace, and um. I knew the history of the Austrian uh, Austrian Empire and the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and it was just kind of it, it made me appreciate it so much more. Hello. I can you can't hear, me? hear you. Ah, I can hear you now. Sorry, yeah. Okay, Grant. Sorry, we just got cut off there for a second. Uh, where were we? I was saying it's like that was something I can really relate to on a personal level. Uh, I went to Paris there two years ago. Now I am the biggest uh, Napoleon Bonaparte simp ever. Napoleon Bonaparte, and then I like I just finished playing Assassin's Creed Unity as well. So I was just like trying to oh, see like yes. how similar is it portrayed to the game and then just seeing all these various different aspects because it takes you to places like the catacombs which is very overrated don't get me wrong but after playing assassin's creed rogue and unity i was like going to versailles was just so huge for me and i was with two friends and i was just telling them everything and the (laughs) military museum uh hotel de valide is like one of the coolest places i've ever been to i was chatting to do you know the uh donegal tiktoker mandy sherry no, maybe I know him to see. 
she's uh she's from Donegal and she does her 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 page is specifically based upon being Irish moving to Paris and we're chatting about her and she's she's really good person to ask for stuff like that well this is before TikTok even happened but I, I totally resonate what you say is like it gives you a deeper understanding of certain places and the, the way they contributed to the society of the country that, that you're in. Mm-hmm. You're you're gonna love this actually. I'm for my dissertation. I'm doing um, mm-hmm. a dissertation on Napoleon the uh, Third, Napoleon's nephew, and yeah. he is extremely interesting. He doesn't have the same uh, success in foreign policy, uh, well, aka conquering Europe, as um, Napoleon mm-hmm. the First. But his Not the many things he did for France and things he did for no, I mean, they, to be fair, it was quite good. Or, well, well, good as subjective. It was quite impressive. Um, but I no, he has his. Sorry, as you're saying, sorry for interrupting. Sorry, sorry, no, you're all right. Um, he has obviously strong Bonapartism, um, and he really tried to emulate Napoleon mm-hmm. the first, um, style, and he did do it well enough in a domestic sense, but obviously for the foreign mm-hmm. policy or for the for the foreign conquering, he, there was no one as good as Napoleon. What were you going to say, sorry? Um. I actually can't remember. Oh yeah, I actually visit uh, visited his tomb in uh, what I think it's Hotel de Valide. Um, yeah, it's Hotel de Valide. It's like it's if you go to Paris, go to Hotel de Valide. It's like it's you go to Napoleon's uh, tomb, and it is massive. Uh, it's so big, uh, it's just larger than scale. But uh, based upon like what you're saying that you're studying your dissertation, so like in what ways was like his domestic policy so significant? For, for just for anyone that doesn't know anything about Napoleon the Third, yeah, I mean Napoleon the Third is quite a um, unknown character in the nineteenth century, mainly because he's overshadowed by his uncle Napoleon. He's overshadowed by mm-hmm. uh, Kaiser Wilhelm the First, by Bismarck, by Victoria. You know, he's basically he. If he had been alive a century later or a century previous to the nineteenth, he would have been perfect uh, because he's he's done mm-hmm. so much. So essentially. Not to delete that, like he, uh, he he rebuilt Paris with Houseman. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Baron Houseman, but he was the man put in charge by Napoleon III to rebuild Paris. Uh, so in the early 19th mm-hmm. century, under Napoleon I and under the Second Republic, and then the Restoration and the you know the Third Republic and all, there was massive problems with um Paris and Parisian life. So. There was outbreaks of cholera in 1832 and 1849. 20,000 and 19,000 people died in both those cases. And there was mm-hmm. also these massive slums. Like, there's only eight square meters per person. It was like the tenements in Dublin, you know? But Houseman right. and Napoleon III basically reformed the entire system. They built all these... Um, they, they built all these massive, big, wide roads in Paris because it was kind of alleyways and it was... Uh, who describes it? What was his name? I can't remember his name now. Um, Proudhon. Proudhon in 1839 described Paris as a vast cesspool, as a place of masters and lackeys, thieves and prostitutes. Because um, all the bourgeois had kind of moved out, or the bourgeoisie Sounds had moved like out of Paris. Yeah. <laughs> they, they all moved out of Paris uh, because of the, like, just the absolute state of it. And like they'd still been using the medieval sewage mm-hmm. system. So he reformed the sewers, he reformed the banks, making it easier for people to get loans and making predatory loans illegal. And um, he also, mm-hmm. you know, rebuilt Paris as a monument to modernism 
and obviously he was an authoritarian, he's an emperor, there are bad aspects to his personality and that, you know, you can go into the good and the bad, but essentially what he was doing was establishing himself as this man for the working class so they wouldn't overthrow him. Is that, that's what my thesis is basically going to be arguing. That's really cool. Was he involved within the clearing of all the dead bodies within Paris, uh, within the churchyards? Would I be would I be right and say that would that be the same era? Uh, I haven't seen that, but I do know that uh, there are these massive pools, uh, like sewage tanks, basically septic tanks in open air that they dumped thousands of corpses in a day, mainly horse and, you know, horse corpses, but sometimes unidentified people mm-hmm. who died in the streets, kind of vagabonds, as they would have said. Essentially, the destitute homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could have been in that could have been him. Now I haven't read anything about that, but I also haven't delved deeply into the graveyard aspect of his rule. I've been more focusing mm-hmm. on the architecture and because the, I know. Uh, what... So I think that like the the clearing of the graveyards was part of the architecture of my memory certainly right because if you go to uh, the catacombs in. Paris, to be honest, they're a bit overrated. They take you so long just to see. Like, the coolest thing is, like, there's this, uh, at the very, very bottom, there is, like, this big walkway of just skeletons and bones. And it's, like, they stack them up, and it just goes on for hours and hours. It's, like, hundreds and millions of bones just going for hours and hours. And it's a very morbid experience. It's not a... It's something definitely for the family, but you will be waiting maybe three or four hours just to get get into them and then it takes you about maybe half an hour or an hour to get down there um but right. yeah i think that was something similar about that as well i'll have to, I'll have to look into that now i'm not too sure On but to it the... sounds like uh, it was the same era sorry what were you saying yeah i think it probably was because the catacombs were what was it i think yeah because i think the catacombs they were an ancient uh granite quarry and they were used uh, the, initially during the Roman uh, occupation of Gaul, and then it gradually progressed. So this is where, like, uh, if you look at like certain archi- architectural aspects of Paris, such as Notre Dame, I think the granite used from there or was it granite? I'm not sure. Stone builds Notre Dame came from uh, the catacombs as well. So it's interesting to see, like how how you said, like how the architecture always kept getting. Oh, okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, no, I'll have to look into that. I know. Um, will they be similar with the catacombs? Just sorry, just go back on them. Will they be similar to uh, the Dublin ones in, in Christchurch? I've never actually been to the ones in Christchurch, but I, I would imagine that they would be. But what's kind of unique about the catacombs in Paris, it's like, it's these, as I mentioned before, these, this big, massive row of skeletons that go on for, for miles. And there's millions of them. It is so morbid and dense. If you played, um, Assassin's Creed Unity, like you you will, the final mission, you'll be in there. Okay. Well, it replicates it very well. I haven't played one since Black Flag. uh, In my opinion. I've played Black Flag. No, yeah, I actually own it, but I haven't played it. You've not played it? Oh, I've played Assassin's Creed beforehand, but I haven't you played. Haven't, I haven't oh played my Unity. god, man! Oh man, I'm uh, I'm really de- Unity. It's like it is very good. Like the mm-hmm. biggest problem with it was like, see when it first came out, it was very glitchy. Like you'd see people, and I was like, it would just be like you'd be walking <laughs> past, and there'd be like eyes and a t- a mouth just floating in midair, 
and like some some people would have half their faces missing or you'd see like a like a soldier like hanging in the middle of there just walking casually like nothing was out of place about it but they've since uh updated it and fixed the, 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 the yeah, new assassin's kind creed of very twitchy and buggy and stuff like that. it looks kind of dark souls-esque and i'm not a massive fan of that it's it's I've never played Dark Souls, but um, it's good. Like, don't get me wrong, it's a huge step up from Odyssey. But at the same time, too, um, it just doesn't feel like an Assassin's Creed game anymore. It's just, there's there's something missing about it. It's, it's like dating a girl that's, you know, she's lovely, but, you know, there's a yeah, spark not there. That's the best <laughs> is it, But is it good it. as a standalone game? Like, if you, if, you, if you took it out of the Assassin's Creed universe? <laughs> it, is, it, it is very good. It is very good. Like it is a good game. The gameplay is very good. Um, there's certain historical inaccuracies, inaccuracies with it, and even based upon they touch upon the Ragnarok, Ragnarok uh, aspect of it too. Like there's a certain mission of that, and like a lot of the architecture is kind of they they bring in elements oh. of when the Vikings and the Norse became Christianized. So it's like there's a specific type of like building of the churches and they actually integrate that yeah, towards yeah, sure. uh, Ragnarok, which was a bit confusing. Um, they kind of overplayed all the Romans uh, occupation because like there's a lot of old Roman human ruins uh, in England at the time, which is a bit exaggerated, but it's, don't get me wrong. It's a good game. It is, worth the investment but okay, it's not well going to be level two other assassin's creed games that are classics might be the best option that's that sounds like a good plan right so on to the next question okay and i think i'd really like to hear your view on this so like who is your hero in history like someone so that you look up to like that's a huge hero the problem with studying history, I find, is that a lot of people you initially look up to, you find are problematic later on. Um, like for, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, honestly, it would probably be Connolly. Um, I would have initially said Napoleon the Third, but as I mentioned, he had extremely authoritarian measures, and I am not a man for authoritarianism. I mean, he did do good. He did do very good, like the things he did for the women of France and uh, for the working class. But at the same time, it's still authoritarian. So I'd have to say mm-hmm. Connolly. Um, and I would say that because he wasn't like, I mean, all the signatories of proclamation and all the men who fought in 1916 were obviously extremely brave. And what they, they were laying down their lives for a cause that they truly believed was just, which is, you know, uh, sorry, the men and women, because obviously Merkovich was there, Hannah Shee Skeffington was there, there was, you know, come on the man. Women are often um, underrepresented in the tale of 1916. But I'd look at Connolly mainly, be- oh yeah, 100%, main- mainly because Connolly was, 100%. Um, he wasn't even Irish, he didn't really have any skin in the game, he was ex-British Army, he left them, some say because he didn't want to go to India, um, which I could believe, but also because he had found love in Scotland. Um, so he, he left the British Army and then he got into the Scottish Socialist Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, and being of Irish descent and growing up in the Glasgow slums, I think he had pro- he probably had one of the best ideas of what it was actually like to be one of the destitute poor. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think he joined the army at 14 because his parents just could not afford to... Uh, to support him because of, yeah. you know, because they were just, they were too poor. 
and there was no no social welfare back in those days. There's no NHS. There's no nothing. You know, if you were lucky enough to be born into the upper middle class or the, even the middle class, good on you. But everyone else, you know, they, that's that's it. Um, and I exactly. And even Michael Collins said of Connolly oh, that right. we would have followed him into hell. He was, you know, a, a, not only was he somebody who was, you know, well educated despite what the world had done against him. He was also someone who was who wasn't going to back down from a challenge. He, you know, uh, told even was in in his last moments was thinking of his daughter's safety, and he said told him to go to America just in case there was negative repercussions from loyalists in 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 Ireland at the time, um, mm-hmm. on any of the descendants of the Rising. And where mm-hmm. and he he you know obviously he he wrote like pamphlets and he wrote um. He wrote. He had writings that where he expressed his his uh, beliefs. He also continued fighting after being gravely wounded. And the the doctors in Dublin Castle actually said that he would. Uh, or was it? He was held in Dublin Castle, wasn't he? I don't think he was held in Kilmainham. Yeah. In fact, about that, there's actually a guy from uh, my part of Donegal who carried Connolly out of the stretcher. His name oh, was, really? uh, okay. I think it was either Joseph, I think it was Joseph Sweeney. And uh, he was one of the few Donegal men that were involved in the 1916 race. And he would later become like a really big political party for, uh, he emerged in the political scene in very early in Irish politics. I think he started off with Common the Man and then went to Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, I can't remember. But like, yeah, he like Donegal man. That, like, took I didn't, I had no from, idea. That's very, very interesting. This, yeah, that's took him stretcher. Um, I actually didn't know because I know, uh, the... sorry, go on. Yeah. He was... hey. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay. Hello? Um, sorry, what were you going to say there? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, well, I can hear you 100%. Um, That's fine. I, I have uh, no idea. I, like, sometimes I just go on around and uh, it's gone. Oh, actually, no, yeah, I remember now. So, like, did you, did you also know that uh, Conley was actually going to go a part of the 1916 Rising with the Irish's army alone? That is, I think there's, like, some historians say that the reason why it says in the constitution the Irish volunteers and the Irish citizens army was because yes. Connolly was brought in just so he wouldn't. Yeah, I actually the I go into this in a, a video on YouTube where I was discussing Connolly and his life. Um, he had he met with Pierce and McDermott, I think, or Mac, uh, who was it? Was Pierce and or was it Clark? Maybe it was Pierce and Clark. Anyway, Pierce was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd have to rehash that. I'm not. My memory's a bit spotty about that. But he met with them. And they were trying to negotiate a, um, basically, they were trying to tell him, we need to wait, we need to hold off on the on a revolution, we need to wait until uh, we can get more, maybe, like, support from the Germans, like, from their army, um, or more, you know, we need more time, more time to recruit people for the Irish volunteers. Because, obviously, the IRA wasn't around at that stage, it was the IRB, which was a close-knit group of, you know, a few people, and the, the volunteers were the people who were actually doing the fighting, along with the citizen army. And Connolly said to them, he said, listen, if I have to fight Britain alone, I'm going to fight Britain alone. So, you you know, essentially saying stand with me or stand out of my way. Uh, and I think that the ICA, oh God, yeah. And the ICA, even though they were much less numerous than the volunteers, yeah. were actually quite Ballsy important, with the, especially with the Dublin Brigade. 
um, it was remarked that Connolly was essentially like the one of the um, leaders of the actual ground fighting in the Rising because of how gung ho he was, really. Uh, for lack of a better term, he was just kind of in it. He was in it to win it, or he died trying, which we know he did. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, know, he, he, would... he loved he loved by the sword and died by the sword. And now that you've mentioned, um, so and now that you've mentioned like a very important um, event within Irish history, I'd really like to know. Well, like, what do you think was like? What event or phenomena do you think had the biggest if impact honest, on I think Ireland's it was, history um, and the, the story of, of Daniel O'Connell and of Wolftown? So Daniel O'Connell kind of founded the whole civil disobedience with the Land League, with the Catholic emancipation. And mm-hmm. as somebody who'd seen the French Revolution in person, he wasn't keen on bloodshed. Uh, so he kind of he he had formed the civil disobedience side of of. Um, Irish Republicanism, which we which we've seen since him, like basically since since he established it, and would you would you would you, would you really call no, uh, not, O'Connell not a Republican? I would I, I'd actually I would actually yeah like, no call him I would call him like Home Rule because like he did I would I would argue that. Don't want to be part of Britain, but like he he wanted like Ireland's own parliament. Yeah. So when in, I when I mentioned uh, republicanism, I meant that the civil disobedience that he employed had been used by republican causes past at, like after him. Um. So I'd say himself and Wolftone. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I. Sorry. That's what I was uh, trying to get at. Oh. Okay. Himself and Wolftone, um, because Wolftone was obviously the father of modern Irish republicanism, and an important thing to note was that he was a Protestant himself, um. So he kind of showed that it doesn't necessarily have to be sectarian. It's not inherently sectarian yes. to want a republic for Ireland, you know. Um, uh, because obviously the story of the of the twentieth century has been sectarian violence, yeah, uh, which is unfortunate. And there have been Protestants uh, and Protestants and Catholics on both sides, and it's important to realize that that we need to move past the sectarian aspect of it. So I think that yes, hundred yeah. percent. No, no, yeah, no, on no, a related no, note, I'd say like one of the. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, I would say like it was very similar and based on what you said, based upon the conflict in the 20th century of Ireland, and I think the Ulster Plantation was actually like one of the. It was the the stepping stone, the the first steps of towards um, Ireland's modern political uh, landscape. Based upon it was the first yes. time where all of Ireland was under British uh, dominionship. And it was also the first time where a whole new concept of what Irishness is, whereas before invading British forces, they would have equally as been Catholics. Maybe during like the 11th, the 12th century under the Normans, the role of the Catholic Church in Ireland and England were different based upon where they aligned themselves with Rome or their own Irish Catholic Church. But I do think it's, there was even like a new Irish identity that was involved with that. So it's like, a native Irish was usually Catholic. Uh, uh, someone who was British, English, Scotch came over were generally Presbyterian or Church of Ireland. And then even like the way our their our administration changed completely based upon counties, rather than going from like a semi-agrarian society, we moved into yeah, more no, of a state-based society and, uh, where our counties. It's interesting from. to note that. Well, you're you're right. After the Ulster Plantation, they had really 
kind of started to actually gain dominion over the whole of Ireland, whereas for the previous few hundred years, they claimed dominion over it. But in reality, they were working with various Irish Irish kings and chieftains and kind of trying to have this balance of power. Mm -hmm. But the Normans, which is interesting, uh, their descendants, when in the 16th century, when the Church of England was established by Henry VIII, they were, you know, obviously Catholic and the, the Anglo-Normans or the Irish Normans at this stage, the Anglo-Irish were now mm. outsiders when they had been kind of the, they, they had been the commanding force of British power or of English power at this stage in Ireland. And now they're suddenly ostracized as they're seeing themselves. People in England are saying, well, you're just like the Irish you're Catholic. So why should we be, you know, why, why should we employ you to do our dealings when we could just employ good Protestant folk? Um, so I think that's the kind of that's the time you see people really realizing that yeah, I, I, Irishness is something that's going to stick to you if you stay here long enough. Uh, like the old saying, uh, Hibernicus e Hibernicus. <laughs> that's right. I don't. I don't have much myself. E Hibernicus. Sorry, I mispronounced that. My Latin's pretty yeah, terrible. Yeah, no, it's exactly. Yeah, that way. Yeah, that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think like um, but I do think like within the Ulster plantation too it's like we also see like a completely new uh, ethnic group in terms of the Ulster Scots and they're like in this part of Ireland is even in Donegal like we would speak there's a few phrases that we have that would be like from the Ulster Scots dialect or language there's a lot of bait. well there's not personally I think mm, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it to be called a language like I've got no issue there but they, even like the Ulster Scots were some of the, like, the biggest fighters within the uh, Wolf Tone Rebellion of 1798, like McCracken from, I think he was from the Glens of Antrim or Belfast, I can't remember. But the majority of like the United Irishmen were Ulster Scots and they joined obviously because they weren't all Catholic, they're Presbyterian, but Presbyterians within Ireland faced as much discrimination uh, in Ireland as Catholics did at the time. So we look, we look at like certain marriages were not recognised as well as they had to pay a tithe to the Church of England. And yes, say, that's like, what that I was, was the main reason why yeah, the Ulster Scots immigrated Wolfstone to America. was a Presbyterian himself, and the Church of Ireland was essentially the only accepted Protestant church in Ireland. There was, the Presbyterians were obviously very big in Scotland. But I, I feel like we've seen another shift in, much like the Anglo-Irish Anglo were turned into Irish people because of their religion, we've seen a shift in the opposite direction where Presbyterians up in the north of Ireland now today view themselves as always being in, has always of being in control of the north of Ireland um, and always kind of running the show when in actual fact they were quite heavily discriminated against. And I think hmm. Presbyterianism is, is a the largest denomination of Protestantism in the north, or the second largest? I'm not too sure on the. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, uh, Presbyterian is the largest. Yeah, it's Presbyterian, then Church of Ireland, but, yeah. and then there's like all the various other. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's of, quite uh, interesting how we've and, kind of gone uh, the opposite way in respect to them, and um, so it's, I think it's kind of like a national myth nearly that they've uh, and a lot of them some for some reason believe that they've been there longer than the native irish which is i don't know how they can believe that yeah there's, there's, no i can see where the argument is from because like if we look at 
uh, the ancient uh, Gaelic kingdom in Scotland called Dalriada. And there was a heavy amount of trade between that, that part of Ireland. Like if you look at the glens of Antrim and Scotland, they're very heavily interconnected. And there's that's where, where Scots Gaelic comes from because there was such a huge um, Irish Gaelic influence upon the north. So I, I, I can actually see where they're coming from with something like that. But it's <laughs> it's very watery. It's a bit like, uh, I know you like the Byzantine Empire. That, yeah, uh, it's yeah, a bit like saying how the Romanovs are the, a continuation the of it. The thing about is um, that it was, it was settled by Irish people from, you know, from the Northern Ireland area. It was actually, it was an Irish kingdom it was an Irish kingdom spanning the north of Ireland and, and Scotland. And uh, Scots Gaelic is actually a form of Irish. It's, it's, it's descended from ancient Irish as modern Irish is, which is actually why, because I was, I can actually understand some Scots, sorry, yeah, I can mm. understand some Scots Gaelic. Like I was talking, see, see that, I speak Irish. I was talking no, go ahead, sorry. a lot over in Glasgow and I was living there and he was like, oh, come on a hat though. And I was like, oh, Tommy, come on. He was like, oh, come on, come on. I was like, okay, you can actually, like, we can kind of communicate here because they're splint. It's like, they're kind of like, it's what romantic languages are, but for Gaelic languages. Yeah, like I would often find um, I wouldn't be a native Irish speaker myself. Like I can speak some words, like I can, I can say something, I still have a gloss and everything like that. But if I hear someone from Scotland speak Gaelic, I can understand right, okay. them a lot clearer than I could somebody with Munster Irish. And I, I don't know why that is. Um, I think it's because like I'd watch oh, like right, BBC okay. Alba. It's like the Scots Gaelic equivalent of T.T. Keher. And like I'd watch it quite a bit just to just to really like see, just to get a taste or a feel for it, and I can actually kind of go right. That makes so much more sense to me than like Monster Irish because like yeah, is it the way they say like to work is like obrium, but like obrium no, or something like that. Um, again, <laughs> yeah, not a like not yeah, a, no, because I, I think um, what was it? I, like colleague is girl, but Colleen is girl in <laughs> Irish, you know, or uh, like more is big and more is big in Irish. They're the same word, so I think you can see a lot like you could you could have very basic rudimentary conversations with each other um and i made a tiktok about this a while back where i took a duolingo like test your level in scots gaelic and i got i mean it was quite i was able to understand a lot of it um and there it's funnily enough their photos are the other way around um so all you know how all our photos go from the left to the right yeah all there is just go from left yeah, to right, yeah, well, from that right too. to left so um, I'm not sure why that is. Maybe maybe they, maybe they've got the original version and we we somehow messed it up along the way. Damn, Scott threw in about this. But yeah. Or maybe it's like could maybe the Scots like the Scots. I don't know. Oh, I don't yes, want to yeah. call it Scots, but you would like the Scots quote unquote language. Maybe, uh, yeah. maybe could you know maybe something like that could have had an impact upon that. Um, but it's like Scots like. Um, that could be an, a, a factor too. Like I heard this one thing uh, of of Scottish court life, and they said with Scots people in Scots court, you speak Scots with 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 <laughs> nobles, you speak Latin, not I'm, and with women, I'm, I'm, you speak French. I've never heard that before myself, but um, or something like that. I, I actually... absolutely butchered that. But... Go on. Sir. I saw it in a documentary as well. No, no, go on. What, what did you say? <laughs> No, no, I keep it. Ah, it's, it's, Go ahead. it's all right. Don't worry about it. No, no, after I keep interrupting you, and it's annoying, it's, it's annoying me. 
Um, what was it? I think it was something like, uh, yeah, I was watching like this documentary about like the Ulster Scots language and like the case. Is it a language or is it just another dialect? And yeah, it was like they, were, like they always referred back to Scotland as well, because like, you know, that's where the majority of the planters from Ulster came from, because after the Nine Years War finished in 1603, James the Sixth of Scotland, but the first of England uh, took the throne after Elizabeth the first died. And he wanted to reward all the Scots that were loyal to him by giving him new land in Ulster. Actually, do you know like how the plantation of Ulster really kicked off? It's a really funny story. Was Elizabeth like where they kind of got the idea, right? idea of Or are you talking from? about the um, Machiavellian aspect? Yeah, Elizabethan era. Elizabeth. No, Elizabethan no, era. Well, I mean, Elizabeth, no, go ahead. Elizabethan sure. era specific to Ulster. So, like, there was this earl uh, called Con O'Neill, and he was having a banquet, and they were having load of fun anyway and then they ran out of wine and cheese and all that and they're just like ah lads you know what we'll just go down and get some more we'll go to near village and we'll raid it okay but then they ran into queen elizabeth's forces and then they, he got captured and taken to carrick fergus castle and he was going to be taking away to be executed uh for treason so his wife came along and was like please let him live let him like what you want and then they kind of like looked at each other and was like right you know what I will give you all of our lands if you just let him go and live. And then they're kind of going, right, okay, because see Antrim, County Antrim and County Down, they were planted before the rest of Ulster. Uh, they were planted like in 1601 or 1602. Uh, but like the, the Antrim and Down were not part of the Ulster plantation. So like the first plantations within Ulster were a separate plantation. And I think it was somebody called James Chichester uh, like there's just a load of places in Belfast called Chichester Street and Chichester after, Avenue after him. So then that's where they kind of got their first kind of foundation for no the way. plantation within Ulster. It's from a separate plantation <laughs> in Ulster, if that makes sense. All because oh of some guy went on the piss. I was about to say the exact same thing. Every All Irish, because of some guy Irish, went on the piss. Uh, story starts it's with such this. a typical <laughs> Irish story, isn't it? So I was out drinking, right? Oh, yeah, I, like, know, I, I had a few fun, fun, a few, a few pints. Had a pack of... Oh, this is this is Paddy Lofty. Is Pint Man like a real person, or God, is this Paddy Lofty? many people have you not? Because like I've never heard tell of him. Like I've never heard tell of him until until like no like how uh, yeah like, the Pint Man or two, but before that, like it was Irish Simpson fans. <laughs> And I thought, like, you know, I thought they just made him up as a meme. Yeah, and I just kind of went, is, is this guy real? Like, 45 There, there is a huge debate as to whether or not it's four or five pints. Who's this like, crazy pints. person? And then... I, I personally believe it's 45, because I believe in Paddy. I believe in Paddy Lasky. Like you exactly. have to like I would like I would like it to be true. It's probably like, I really do. I would love it to be true. I think it'd be very Yeah, it's like because like it's magical. I think twenty 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 needs this. Twenty twenty needs paint. I, I, I think get that. through this tough and trying time. 
I think I think it actually all arrived from him dying and uh, the the tapes got released or something. I'm actually not sure on the on the whole historiography of it, but uh, yeah. I think we should put him. Yeah, put him on the second fifty euro note. Just say. I think we should put him on the euro. Pull the Brexit, but just on this one specific issue. <laughs> yeah, like fuck you, Brussels. Like we'll, um, we'll pull the Brexit on it. <laughs> yeah, just so we want paint, man. Actually, did you hear? Did you hear lately about uh, the, oh, the biggest problem with Irish uh, trading with Brexit now? Yeah, so yeah, is it, potatoes, do we buy our potato, uh, chipper potatoes, potatoes are used for like chippies, like for Britain, chips. Do we? Because that was new to me. Because they said the chip might taste different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the majority of them. Yeah, same with me. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's something to do. Like, maybe their starch and mineral levels different, and that's why like they get such a. Yeah, they're not the same. But that's what like, have you ever tried like chips in like... Europe, like mainland <laughs> Europe? Because when I was in Glasgow, like the chips tasted exactly the same. Because I was like, oh, okay, grand. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm. Yeah, like I think oh. Ireland and the UK has like the best takeaway culture. Like, fair enough. Don't get me wrong. Germany has the nicest kebabs you'll ever eat. Honest to God, you'll never, you'll, you'll find but, like the variety of takeaways. I think like Ireland has the best. No, no. Like yeah, I can make yeah. one. Like they're they're very yeah. easily made. Well, if you have the. Oh, the powder for obviously, but I might, I might get one after this uh, recording. I do love spice bag now, to be fair. We'll have to see. Oh man, I'm actually jealous. Like I'm, like I'm back in my oh, mom and dad's no. house for like a couple of days, and there's no takeaways around here. Like there's no deliveries, so it's just like, yeah, it's so disheartening. Because uh, like, oh, I got yeah. in there, oh, can, you know, yeah. just eat, and then like you know, half an hour later, boom, sorted, loving life. But like, it's like uh, I for, for living for just my, really uh, makes you appreciate little things like that. And um, it, yeah, I, I I completely appreciate it when you when you have like no other option apart from a shop mm-hmm. that's open from like twelve till three every day, and um, you know, we have one shop. We had one shop in, the, in our village, and. Yeah, you ate. You ate when you ate in school, and you ate when you came home, and that was it. You know, there was no snacking or anything. Like back in Dublin, I could eat. I could eat all day if I wanted, you know. But there's no chance of that back there. I'd say it's no, really good not for me. Like, at all. Like I've lost like so much weight like oh, since I came it. here because oh. like I'm not eating. I'm not eating any takeaways at all. Yeah, but then it's like it's like. It's kind so of gonna, like, like go up and down. Like, your weight's going to fluctuate when you go back to Little Penny. Like, oh, yeah, 100%. Because, like, the Jiu like, Jitsu gym, like, Jiu Jitsu's not opening up, uh, like, this month. And I was so looking forward to it opening up, like, today. And then found out it's not. And then I was just like, I was in tears crying. I know. And like, I really I just did like nothing I mean, better than just like, I've, uh, I've done MMA, like training hard yeah, like that. I do kickboxing, but like jujitsu, when we're doing it in MMA, it's really is a proper workout. Like, it is. It's so good. Yeah. 
No, I train MMA too. So I was tra- actually training yeah. in my college. Um, I've been doing kickboxing for like, um, six years. Where did you train? So I started it in my school and then I moved it in, into my college. Um, but I was training in the University of Strathclyde for um, for MMA. And it was quite good because we had a... One of our coaches was mm-hmm. a... Um, what was What's the word? He was an amateur fighter and he was actually quite good. And uh, he actually couldn't fight in the amateur leagues anymore because he kept winning. <laughs> but he wasn't really ready to go professional yet. Oh, no, he was a good coach. Like, he was... Um, so, like, he, he, just, he was just looking, like, for a load of tune-up fights as well, I, I take it. Yeah, 100%, man. But, like, it's, oh, it's mad, like, how, I mean, like, um... I really wish he MMA, wasn't because like, I actually liked him when he first came out, but then, you know, took over. story after story came out, and he kept just causing nuisance, and, you know... Yeah, yeah. Like that, that, like I was like the biggest McGregor dick writer ever. Like I'm not going to lie, but like I remember like watching MMA. Like M- there was this old uh, M- MTV channel Sky and Bellator. It was actually Bellator that got me into MMA before uh, UFC. Believe it or not, and they used to have highlights of Bellator like every Saturday night, and I just tune in and watch it because I played rugby at the time, so I was getting really into physical sports and. I saw MMA and I was just like, this is mental. This is absolutely crazy. I love this. And then I took up, like, I started jiu-jitsu, like, maybe two years ago. And I do a bit of MMA as well. Like, I do want to get in the cage, but, like, oh, yeah. Is it? But there's a new guy from Dublin, actually. Uh, he signed the UFC no, there last uh, week. I can't remember his name. Oh, okay. He trains, okay, like, not, with I've, Roddy in really SPG. I haven't really been following it that much. Uh, like I followed him. At... I well, hopefully. Nah, like, really I think so. there's going to be a second there. Only there because I watched that fight in Scotland with all the MMA lads, and lassies. We all we all got together and had a few drinks. But like, the one problem I found with McGregor is he finishes fights too fast. If he wins, he wins the first round normally, and I'm like, oh, I stayed up till five a.m. to see twenty seconds of a fight. And I mean, I like watching yeah. the preliminaries, but like at the same time. Oh, yeah. Well, Aldo was like, what, uh, 13 like, seconds? Like, I remember, like, out. He hadn't been beaten in 10 years. Yeah, I think, like, yeah, at the time, it was, like, it was... Yeah, but, like, at that time, like, you could only put on, like, a 15-second video on Instagram. <laughs> so, it's like, it was at that time, you could have put all of McGregor's well, fights no, on Instagram. Did you hear what they did with that, that fight, too, by the way? Like um, it was it was very funny. It just so like they went on to Pornhub and oh, uploaded oh, McGregor's oh, fight and titled it "Irish Guy Destroys oh Brazilian gosh. with Fists." That's quite good, isn't it? Yeah, I thought that was uh, like yeah. So yeah, it is very good. It is like Irish fans like we do bring up the UFC like whenever it's on. Even like when James Gallagher fights in Bellator, oh, no, like, and he if, if we're there, Dublin, we're there. You know, like you the Irish know fans there. like we are really um, fucking next level. I find they find a lot with football as well. Do you remember like? Oh, that was so good. Yeah, like remember like so, Euro twenty twelve like when in France? No, it was twenty sixteen. Oh, I remember 2016 when we got to... Um, that was brilliant. 
when we got to like semifinals or something. Uh, quarterfinals, yeah, best best we ever done. Yeah, like I remember watching us in the north. Yeah, and the the match after Italy had an Italian ref, and me and like I mean it was probably just us being paranoid, but like we were like, oh that ref's gonna fix over, and we lost the match. We're like, no, ah the ref, the ref, the ref. Uh, like, like I remember, like, uh, it was like the World Cup, like in rugby back in 2015, like as England, and then like Sky Sports were like interviewing people, and then like all these Irish fans were like outside of Twickenham just having a big massive rugby game, like oh, everyone God. was just like jumping into like rocks and malls and stuff like that, and then they showed like another highlight of like Irish fans. It was two lads on the river, th- the Thames, like on the River Thames, like in a little canoe paddy boat like a little canoe not even a canoe like a little inflatable boat like rowing and they're in oh like all God. these like, Patrick's gears stuff like that it was so fucking funny Didn't, would you get arrested for just rowing down the Thames oh man <laughs> I have no idea the this old, is the uh, thing nobody knows I wouldn't put it past England I, I don't to, to arrest I you for like, but... what I think we're going to suppose it like Ireland's history or something yeah, English. Oh. Not English people. English people are nice. Oh, thank God! Yeah, Listen, just, don't just give me don't like give you me know, hope. just like vomit and <laughs> Vincent Churchill or something. Don't give me hope. And um, what got you into history, actually, yourself? Oh, don't worry. Someday, someday, someday. Um, it's it's a really funny story. So it was actually um, I was in school, and it was actually through Irish mythology. I might teacher wasn't really into history so she was just like okay like this is we're doing this Irish mythology and I think it was the it was Deirdre of Sorrows and I was really fascinated and then I got into Irish mythology but I didn't really realize that it never happened I didn't realize it was just a myth and then in school there was like this little kind of pushable library so it's like all these little books and then I saw a book on the Romans and I saw all these guys with swords and like the gladiators with their like golden helmets and like they're these big brutes with like shield and cleaves and what whatnot. And then I was just like, I remember like one fact I read from it was like circulus maximus means big circle for the, the Coliseum. And I was just like, so why, like, why do these people starve in this time? Like, did they not like put the food in the fridge? And then the teacher went, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's not, you know, they didn't have fridges back then. And I was like, what? And like I was like, like I was probably only like six or seven. I was like, "What do you mean they don't they have fridges? <laughs> like that's silly." And it's like, she's like, what would they watch on TV?" Yeah, I just I always like because I always, I always thought like they existed, and then I really got into history. And then during school, I was kind of ashamed of being history because like I didn't want to appear like a nerd. And I went into secondary school, and my history teacher, God rest him, like he inspired such a love for history at me. Like God rest him, like. And like I just fell in love with history after like I was just like his classroom was so amazing like he had like all of these maps of ancient civilizations and worlds and like how much territory they had and I, I and there was even like a smell but it's like a library almost the old, oh, the old book smell like it really really really, really cool walking yeah. through the uh, um, yeah, I, just love, I just love history like, oh lovely you know um but yeah no I completely understand like I actually got into it accidentally I didn't well I loved it in the junior cycle right. 
Um, so I just I, I loved it so much when I was doing my junior mm-hmm. year. I did it in my junior year. And then when I went to um when I went to go what's the word, sorry, when I went to go uh do it for the for my leaving sir, I wasn't actually able to do it because the the school I went to for my for my uh because I kind of I didn't really do transition year. I did like fifth year twice essentially. So but I did it in Irish and did it in English, and they didn't offer history. So I said, okay, so I'm not going to do history then. And when I went to my college, mm-hmm. it was actually like uh, an option for me to do it along with my degree. And I was saying, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And then they said after my at the end of my first year, they emailed me or they rang me up and they were like, oh, do you want to just mm-hmm. do history by itself? Because like I was doing politics, economics, and history politics was boring economics was hard and uh i got i just got very good marks history like you can do this by itself and i was like okay mm-hmm. yeah i'm up for that and they're like okay perfect like that yeah, let's do this and i was like oh okay so that's kind of how it, it came out came along for me like i hadn't done it for the leaving search uh so that's quite good like but um yeah no history is so interesting like, i think everybody likes some aspect of history it's quite hard to find someone who would just not want to know anything They do. But I think too, it's like, like it depends on like how you promote history. So I think like what the academics part of history that really gets wrong is the, and I, I do appreciate objectivity, I do, but the ordinary people, that's only good for people that genuinely like history. I feel like if you can, if you can tell somebody a narrative behind I history, really agree, you know? uh, and make it relatable and, um, to people, people become that, like, more interested. A lot of people would always be interested in their own history because of narratives that have been pushed in the past. Um, like a lot of a, a lot of people say in Britain wouldn't have any idea of how kind of brutal their mm-hmm. empire was because they're just simply not taught that in school. Um, at the same time, we wouldn't really, yeah. Like we wouldn't really know about the say the Chinese Empire here in mm. Ireland because we're just not taught about it. One hundred percent. I think narratives, like as you said, are quite important and they can get people very interested in it. You know, so I would be very uh... no. Go on, sir. No, I was just saying. I, I, I agree I'd with be that very, too. But um, even with very interested in trying to get everyone involved, no, sorry, in the way they would be interested in it. Yeah, and I think like I think it's like how like if we tell history like a story rather than just a bunch of events that happen simultaneously, because like do you ever get it when you tell someone that you like history and they're like, oh, I could never be good at history. I just couldn't remember all the dates and stuff like that. And you're just like, well, the 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 dates are second, and it's frustrating. But like what I like to do is like if I'm learning something about history. I try to like, I don't even say it properly. Like I just made, like, I explained like World War One to my friends. Like it was like people oh, on a night out. I thought you meant like literally on night out. Like it was literally like a night out was happening. Like that's how I described World War One. And they're like, right, I get it <laughs> Can now. you imagine? <laughs> oh Jesus, no, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I said like, there's like history no, and politics honest, don't. I, I would never talk history. Yeah, beer and politics drunk, don't mix. Just, and especially history. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's interesting, but you don't know if they're interested. It's not good. To, it's not, it's not nice to risk it, you know, and you don't even know what you're saying half the time. Yeah. Some, oh, God, yeah. 
And some people are just trying to be polite as well. Like they'll go, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, and then you're halfway the through a story and you're just like, time, oh, you know? all right, I just want to finish it and then be done with it. Yeah. Like, I've, like, especially with girls too. Like if you're trying to like, like court a girl and, you know, like they ask you, oh, what you're into. I just say, I like history. And they say, what you like about oh, it. Like, I just like, oh, I just love, like, I, I just use it as motivation in my everyday life. And I just leave it at that. And then if they ask more, I'll know if they're genuine. Yeah. So it's like, you, you kind of have to be like to the point, be direct, but not like oh, be yeah. a blowhard, oh, I kind of find. Because it's like some people that are history are very nerdy. <laughs> I'm well you know, aware. You know yourself, I know you people like that. And they just and tell I, yeah, a lot so of it is much kind of like, stupid, they do, irrelevant they do tend, shit. They do tend to um, drone on. And I'm like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah, we get it. And then yeah, so but like they, like it is history. Like I think do you ever like Blind Boy from Robert Bonnets kind of said it. it's like it was. I remember it was during the nineteen sixteen raising, and he was talking about it on Channel Four, and he said it's like when I was in school, people like Pierce and Connolly were my enemies because you know it, you weren't shown the relevance of like why the raising was important. It was just an event in history, and then he said as he left school, he he saw the value behind it because like he wasn't. He didn't have that association with um, exactly like you need to be able to kind of go school. about it your he own way. There's no point in trying to force his own terms if you do it, they'll just grow an animosity. And that's kind of the problem we have with the Irish language as well here in Ireland, I find. Yeah, 100%. I agree. So, like, like you're, you're a fluent Irish speaker, so like, why do you think it's like? The, one of the biggest is like it is coming back a little bit i find but why, why do you think like people have kind of turned their back why do i you mean think i wouldn't think it's dead? say i'm fluent like I, i'd say i'm quite good you know i feel uh, as though if i say i'm fluent i'm gonna get sidelined by people who actually are fluent and they're gonna talk me under the table but um i think that you know obviously with the the massive decline we saw in the 19th century with the systemic the dissolution of the irish language and also the mass emigration of a lot of irish speakers I feel like we've seen a decline in it and there has been no real attempt to rejuvenate it um, because once we left the United Kingdom, or so, yeah, once we left the United Kingdom and eventually once we left the Commonwealth in uh, 49, was it 49? I think it was 49. Um, we still had England as our largest trading partner. Um, so it was still in our best interest to keep English as kind of the lingua franca of Ireland because it was best for us and best best for us to accommodate you know this economic power just off our shore and even when we joined the european union in 73 was it i, th I think listen again dates are actually one of the hardest bits and they aren't really they don't matter as much as people would think but um, when we joined the european union we english really helped us out because we had a a 12.5 percent income tax established which meant that all the american uh, american firms come over here mm -hmm. and they had free trading with the largest trading block in the in the world and all the continentals could speak english and none of them could speak irish so again you know it's been something that's been constantly neglected first through systemic and then through, through systemic means and now just through uh, a view that it's kind of useless but um the kerry cowboy on tiktok had a very good video mm -hmm. on this and he was saying that he read he, 
Oh, very I love good. It's very good. He read from um, his grandfather's, like uh, something his grandfather written down, saying that the Irish language is dying, and he wrote that in the forties. So I think, and there's actually a resurgence of it with the Welsh talks now, um, especially among the middle classes. Uh, you see it along the, or among the urban middle classes, where they're the people who are learning the most Irish, and uh, the working class to an extent because of a lot of the Welsh schools around. Like I'm pretty sure McGregor went to a Welsh school, but I think that the fact that it's it, yeah, yeah. The fact that it's being kind of forced upon us, and we're learning it in a way that's mm-hmm. inefficient because it's it's the language is as older than English, it's older than I think it's as old as Latin, uh, if not older than Latin, and as such, it doesn't have any real grammatical consistency to it. Like I don't know any of the grammar rules in Irish, but I can I can put words together and form a sentence. I know when to use shavos because of the well talks, because the only way to learn Irish, in my opinion, is through immersion. And I think that we should really strive to have more easily accessible well talks and or well schools, uh, you know, in this urban centers and really reestablish it as our own language um, as a kind of cultural thing, as well as, you know, an extremely old language that is, it's quite beautiful in my opinion. So that's, yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Like, you touched on a lot of good points there. Um, I, like, as someone, like, who was not fluent in Irish, like, I, w- I was when I was a child. I went to, like, an Irish-speaking uh, play school, and then I went to an English school, and I lost it. Um, but I do feel like there's another aspect of it, too. It's, like, you touched on a, a very good point, uh, like, in the education system. I kind of find is I think the Irish government needs to realize that Ireland Irish language isn't strong. So, like, we need to stop teaching it as if, for, for me, someone that's not fluent, it's taught, like, as yeah. if you already know it. So you're asking people who, who aren't, might not be linguistically gifted to run. And, like, if you compare the Irish language I was taught in school to maybe something like Spanish, German, or French, like, I'd probably have better French than yeah, Irish. Yeah, a lot of people would be like that. And they teach it to you, they, they introduce you. And they do introduce you to the language and they, they make it so like you're walking. So like, you know how to say, you know, bonjour, ça va, ça va bien, je suis on, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and then also too, it's like, the, you, you did touch on the economic argument too, which I find really interesting. Like there's an old saying called Neil Ain Adiga to Gaelic. With like, you know, for anyone that doesn't speak Irish, that means there's mm-hmm. no money in Irish. But then again, here's the flip side of it. So, like, if we look at, like, Ireland is the only unique independent Celtic nation that, you know, can try to preserve our language. Uh, and there's other languages that are Celtic that are trying to make a comeback. So, like, Manx is in the, the, the not the Welsh, the Isle of Man form. of It's very similar to Gaelic, uh, Irish. Yes, actually. yeah, yeah. And it's making a mini revival. They're making, like, little Manx schools. Kernawick, which is Cornish, is like a, if you watch Celtic Shan, she talks about it quite a lot. It's really, really, she's really, really good and she talks about it. And it's very similar to Welsh Kernawick. And then Welsh has always been kind of strong because they used Welsh to incorporate with the Church of uh, Wales or England, uh, the Anglican Church even. And they, that's how that goes. And then Breton, like Breton was actually beaten out of the, out of the Breton in France. Uh, very much, in fact, in the same way that Irish was, they would. Just, you know, like the murder machine, whereby like if you were caught speaking Irish in school, you would have been whipped and then you'd have to wear a mark to show that you spoke Irish. And then when you went home, your parents would punish yeah. you. No, I, and you, I think you... There was that. They actually had some... In Britain. Sorry, sorry go no, ahead. Sorry, I think you see that with a lot of... Well, oh, sorry, with a lot of Celtic languages, like in Scotland with the, with the clearances, 
in, in Wales, there was a lot of attempts to kind of stamp it out uh, in Brittany and in, in, in the Isle of Man, on, on the, in Cornwall, in Ireland, you know, I think the Celtic language, and even in um, the Basque region in Spain, and they, they've, all these Celtic homelands have been just, had their, had their languages kind of shunned and destroyed for the new languages that arose as a result of, you know, conquest by Rome or conquest by Britain, mainly those, the two main empires. Even too, it's like, even like, but like based upon like the Breton, it's like in the French constitution, uh, they actually violate an EU law for minority languages. And I think it's like Article 2 of the French Constitution, which is like, which means like the language of France is France. So like there's like all these little, not just like Breton, but there's like Alsace-Lorraine, there, what else? there's, I think Basque and Catalan is also spoken in parts of France. If you go down to like the southwest near Perpignan. That makes sense. Or the yeah. Avignon, I can't remember. So like there's even, so like, France, you know, like, and even we can attribute this to Napoleon, like he wanted like a very centralized authoritative state whereby, you know, there was a unifying thing of the state to France. That's where like uh, the arrondissement, which is like little uh, suburban areas in Paris, like if you go to Paris and you see ARR and like there's a number that means yeah. like that's the arrondissement you're in. So I think like that's another aspect of why you know, languages like, but I think like I'm very optimistic about the Irish language because like I, this is the first time on TikTok, especially TikTok. TikTok has been the first app besides Twitter where people like the young, the youth, the people that are aged, you know, maybe 13 to 20, and they're actively engaging in Irish. They're making TikToks in Irish, and I think I think that I think there's there will be a revival of Irish. I think. We I will completely get agree. I think it, I really there's do. nowhere to go but up, especially with Duolingo now offering it. And as you said, the youth are really being exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And they're they're engaging with it. And uh, I always get comments. My videos ask me to speak in Irish, which always makes me extremely nervous. And I always mess up, and I really hate it because, uh, like, I can speak naturally to my friends, but if I'm standing in front of a camera for potentially thousands and thousands of people, I'm like, uh, lads. Um. <laughs> it, but I think that shows that you can do that because um, like my Irish is, you know, it's very minimal. Like I can, I bought the gloss and everything like that, but I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't be fit to have a big long conversation, but even I make TikToks when I, I speak French in some TikToks and it is very nervous, but I think it's just like, you know, be open to make that mistake of speak. Cause then the way I see it's like, if I fuck up in some, yeah, exa- like, exactly. You know? That's a learning yeah, process. No, that's right. to learn from. And uh, that's why, I mean, in most videos I make, when I speak, I should say, I'm not fluent. I'm good. I'm like, cause I'm like, I, my, I say, uh, which means um, I've got a okay level of Irish. I never say that I'm like, I, like, I never say Tomalifa, which means, you know, I'm fluent. I never say stuff like that because I, I'm always like, if I say that mm-hmm. people are going to be like, Oh, I'm like, oh no, lads, is no Jesus Christ! <laughs> I can't, I can't. Do that. Yeah, I remember, I remember like playing rugby and like I'd been the Gaeltacht, and there's like this little Gaeltacht area called Maharorty, which is very. They speak lovely Irish over there. It's so beautiful, so easy on the ears. It's beside a little yeah, parish called Beenmore. If you've ever heard of it. And then I was with all the lads back up in Marorty and they were like my friend Adrian uh, was like his mum's a ban and tea and they always encouraged me to speak Irish. So if they, I was out in the pub with them, they'd be speaking Irish and I would try. And with their family, mm. they, you know, they were very supportive of me and learning Irish. 
then whenever like I would try to speak Irish to someone outside of their family, they would I just know laugh. It, it is it is so annoying. There is kind of like a, when someone an air of uh, it, superiority sometimes Irish speakers, which I don't like. Hundred percent. Yeah, I really don't like that either. Um, I think you know if you want your language to thrive, you have to be open to it. You have to yeah. be open to people making mistakes and willing to learn. Because like I find it too, it's like I work with like a lot of Brazilians and things like that, and their English isn't—it's pretty bad. But I will make an allowance and kind of say, okay, so in English we don't say like me no, yeah, we yeah, say yeah, I yeah. don't, and then they kind of go, oh, I. Should. So it's like I find like words like if I just laugh. Oh yeah, face, I don't think it would be. You know, it would be very. You know, I think that's very. No. But it's like, it's like I think that shows you like how hard languages are to some people. Because like I've worked with some people who are foreign nationals, and like they've been living and working here for like maybe five, maybe ten, twelve years, and their English is still not great. So I think it shows you like people don't really understand like how difficult. Yeah, a language especially if you have no, learn. if you've got little uh, experience in this from birth, you know, it's it's extremely hard to learn because the younger you are, the younger you learn a language, mm. the better you're gonna know it. If you if you understand what I mean. Um, because if a child has been speak, as I've learned Irish for ten years, and mm-hmm. an adult has learned Irish for ten years, you know the child is probably going to be better, just because their brains are so much more malleable, they're so much more open to new information. Whereas an adult's brain is going to have all these ideas and grammar rules and everything for their own language, and then all of a sudden you got to pile this new stuff on. And um, I think we overthink it a lot of the time. We don't just absorb it; we just try and dissect it. Yeah, and I think another too is like people develop nervousness as well as they grow older. Like children are very like, oh, yeah. you ever like talk to children, they're very blunt. Like yeah. they don't like something, they're just like, Oh that that shit. Whereas like adults are kinda like oh like there's this whole Yeah, fear no, of I, I completely agree. Like children just do not give a rat's they're just like, Oh yeah, uh, that's ugly. Like why are you wearing that? That's stupid. Really, you know? <laughs> I think that's what I like about them. Like they're just like they're like I you know, children and old people are kind of the same when you think about it. But like I've got so like I've got like an like I've got a a, a nine year old son, and I remember like I, I I made this mad theory up, and I still stand by it. So see, yeah. do you ever go to like a kid's party, like a birthday party? And I, so I think a kid's party is like a setup <laughs> for the Irish pre-drink. It, it's always the same right so you like you see the same things right there's a group of them yeah in a corner just getting up to mischief and like then you've got like someone oh, who oh, had too much sweets and they're vomiting in a corner oh. like you see that one party and then you just see there's just like one that's really uncomfortable just do not want to be talking to people i think like the children's birthday party is like a I feel like a, a I, baptism I, for I've never later considered life. this in my oh. entire life, but I think you're, I think you're dead on. I, yeah, I can't, I can't yeah, think of any like, better like, analogy. It's weird. It, it really is. Like I've just, I just observed too much. I think, I, I think that's the biggest problem. It's a good attribute, you know. And I think it is but it gets a bit annoying if you get me like sometimes you just want to live in the moment but then sometimes like i analyze everything and i'm just like kind of going like yeah yeah right okay, okay, i, I do understand now. what you mean like it is sometimes um it, it could it could potentially be just be a pain in the arse i can see where you're coming from 
I'm just the opposite. I'm so unobservant. Like, it's not even funny. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I am too. Like, sometimes, like, I say the most stupidest, ridiculous thing, and then people just look at me, like, an entire room just, like, looks, and there's a baby crying in the background, and a glass shatters, and you're like, <laughs> what I said wasn't that bad. And then you're like, no, oh, God, my room's on silent. Like, and you, always, you ever notice that the room always goes silent when you say those things? Like, as you're about to start your sentence, everybody shuts up. Yeah, actually, quite a lot. Um, but sometimes I get, I get, re- I get off on that. Like sometimes, like if I make a entire room go silent, like I will hold that silence and I'll look at them, and there's like something really move. fun about it. Like I really, there's something really. I'm a, I'm a bit of a mischievous <laughs> bastard too. Sometimes I will wind people up. I will make people uncomfortable just for my own uh, personal you're entertainment. Really gonna, uh, you're passing some good life lessons onto the sun. Yeah. <laughs> just. <So. laughs> Just make sure you're you're always the. Uh, the I said you're passing on some good life lessons to your son. You got to make sure you're always the least awkward person in the room. You've got to make everyone else feel awkward. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that would be me. I, I'm the awkward. Exactly. One. Uh, it's 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 a beautiful thing. I say it's powerful. I don't know. I say because like, like from what I've seen in your TikToks, like you're, you're like a very like open, sociable guy that gets on. Really I do well like with you know I do like meeting new people and all, but like uh, at the same time. If I say something wrong, I'm like, ah, oh, no, what have I done? Because you can always reshoot a TikTok, but when in real life, <laughs> it's something different. But yeah. But I don't know. I kind of feel like I just, like, if I say something sometimes and I completely butcher it, I just roll with it. Like, if I, like, do you ever get it when, like, you crack a joke and it just doesn't land? You kind of laugh and just say, wow, that was yeah, really you can, shit. Yeah, exactly. You can kind of blow, brush it off, you know? Um, and I, I mean, I do that a lot. Yeah, I do that. I, a lot. I think there's like people respect that more. Yeah, no, yeah, they respect kind of the confidence. What, like brushing of, stuff off, or the, yeah, the ability to be able to do that rather than just wallow in it. Yeah, exactly. Like it just makes it more awkward too, as well, doesn't it? I sorry that you you kind of broke up there a bit. What were you saying? Said like it kind of makes it a bit more awkward too when you don't. Um, I guess it if, off, you I look, if you want to look at it from a certain perspective, yeah, I could. Okay, right. We've nearly done an hour and a half, so tell you what, we'll wrap it up soon. So I'm gonna leave you. I'm gonna ask you like this one question, okay? And it's history related, okay? So I want to put your Go thinking on. cap on, okay? So. How do you think that people in future generations will view 2020? I think that 2020 is going to be an incredible case study. I think there are going to be hundreds and thousands, hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of projects done on it, of leave and serve projects, history modules set up, just looking at the year 2020, what went wrong, the economic impacts. There's going to be whole schools of economics dealing with virology i'd say just how to respond to a pandemic what's the best way there's going to be you know i think that this is going to be really um something that we haven't seen before because obviously in 1918 we had the spanish flu pandemic which killed 50 to 100 million people so i mean obviously that is quite bad it was worse than the we had a much uh, lower form of uh, of of uh, much lower quality in our hospitals, much much lower, much, much 
Sorry, uh, sorry, Cormac, sorry I'm just saying that it's um, only comparable to the Spanish flu. But the problem is that with the Spanish flu, we didn't have as as uh, mm -hmm. efficient hospital, like our hospital system wasn't as efficient. We didn't know enough about viruses and we weren't as interconnected. So right now it's looking like the world is, has come crashing down. Every single year, there's been economic growth since, uh, World, well, sorry, not every single year, but most years since World War II, we've had, you know, a better standard of living, better economic growth. And all of a sudden, it, it all halts, and not because of a crash in the market, or not because of, you know, the the average things that cause recessions, you know, war, famine. It's just a virus has hit us. And, vi and I think that um, people are going to be looking back on this for years to come. And I am not looking forward to having kids, because... You're Sorry, breaking up part. Uh, can you hear me now? Hello. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I can hear you. So, 100% uh, now. Yeah. I was just saying that basically. Hello. The kids in the future generations are just going to be asking people, and even me, like if when I have kids, um, they're going to be saying, "Oh, daddy, 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 you know what? What happened in 2020? Um, you know, we need to do a little project on it." I'm like, "Oh my god, it's it's going to be one of those years you don't forget." Um. I think it could potentially be the biggest uh, thing to happen in the 21st century. I mean, I've, so far, I think it is because we haven't had any major uh, world wars, you know, or major European wars, which have historically been twice a century. Um, I think it's kind of, it's on par with the war on Iraq or the invasion of, of Afghanistan, simply because, you know, it's, it's so shocking and, uh, it really affects us and it affects our day to day lives so much and even much more. I mean, obviously the poor Iraqis and Afghanis, they, they got affected quite badly, but here in the West, we've had relative peace and stability for so long that we've kind of forgotten what, a, what it is to just be thrown headfirst into disaster. And I think, yeah, I just think it's going to be studied. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be studied a lot. I think it's going to be a whole new school of history, just like dealing with an economics or and a lot of things, just dealing with the fallout from this year. Like this year. 100%. I also think it's like, it's... It... No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, pardon me. No, it's <laughs> like, you're my guest. So I keep like, 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 taking these like, fractional pauses. And I, I think like, this year would have been one for the history books anyway without the virus because we would have had a presidential election where although trump may not have been may not have been ousted because the virus i believe was a determining factor in that but at the same time we have the we have brexit finally actually happening britain is going mm -hmm. to leave the european union it's been four bloody years but they're finally going and they're finally getting kicked out and i mean those would have been two incredibly monumental um you know happenings by themselves um there was also you know the killing of uh, Soleimani there was those Australian wildfires uh there was you know so so much so much stuff uh George Floyd George, yes exactly. uh, George Floyd um the whole Black Lives Matter movement really gaining popularity again the defund the police movement now uh there's you know I it's it's there was so much that happened this year without the virus, and I think the virus just really adds a whole new, a whole new degree of um, of chaos, as you said, of just of just insanity to the uh, to the whole situation.
unpredictability. Yeah, because like it, it just shows you like how to be very like it, it teaches you how to be adaptable, adaptable. Pardon me, uh, within the, within an economic and social climates. Uh, I've known like myself. I've had to make so many different little adjustments in my personal life, just be based solely upon the the outbreak of COVID. Like I've been out of work for like eight or nine months. So actually nine months. I'm going doing my first day in about maybe three right. months like on Friday or Saturday. No, I think like the way people will view 2020, it's like, I think like, obviously they'll view COVID, but I think a lot of it will be based upon like a philosophical question of us. Like, did people fight for like individual liberty or safety? And what the understanding of individual liberty is. So like, I am very based upon individual liberty. However, that cannot infringe on other people. So like people like especially anti-maskers so it's like they misconstrue the concept of individual liberty and freedom and the whole basis upon that is like the non-aggression principle which is you do what you want to cause harm to anybody else and people think oh i have to wear a mask in a shop and it infringes on my personal but and you're like no you actually have the freedom to go into that shop or go to a different one you don't actually have to nobody's forcing you to wear a mask into a shop like you choose to go into the shop you choose yourself to put yourself in a situation whereby you have to uh, follow a certain law so like i think that will be another aspect too i think and also i think it really shows like the importance of what family is i think covid has really hammered home to a lot of people who would otherwise be spending 40 hours a week in an office away from their family and they now get they now see the importance of like spending time with loved ones. Like I, I I'm looking at it from a very micro perspective rather than you know the, like the, like as much as I love history. Like history, we do study these grander than life figures. But I do think it's like the it's also the ordinary oh, people that we have to consider as well. And uh, no right last words, Cormac, before you go. Okay, so give us first of all. Do you have any closing statements? And then after, please let us know your social media so we can keep in touch um, for anyone that's no listening. No real closing statements. Uh, I mean, I thought that this was very good. It was a very good conversation. You know, we hit on a lot of good topics, a lot of very important topics, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just a underscore Cormac. That's A-H underscore C-O-R-M-A-C. Find me on Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, TikTok. I've got, I've got the luxury of having the same username on everything. Uh, apart from Twitter, which is funny enough, what's my Twitter? I actually don't even know my Twitter off my heart uh, because I don't really use it that much. One second, I'm trying to vamp right now as I try and find the app because I can't spell. There we go. Um, so my Twitter is, oh, it's, uh, it is actually at uh, Cormac. That's just no underscore. That's <laughs> so just age Cormac. Um, ah. But yeah, so thank you very much. Um <laughs> For having me, like this is, it's been very nice and uh, it was a great conversation. I did, I did really enjoy it. Thank you. I really appreciated having you on, and I hopefully sure, have look, you if, on some other time. If you have me, you know, I, I'd I, love to I'd, have you. Uh, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, thank you very much. Great stuff, right, folks? That's a wrap. Thank you, Cormac. I wish you all the best, buddy. Right, that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the last.